HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today... I hope they're all listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are kicking off our summer 2022 season with episode number 262. It is May in New York City. It's a sunny day and we are coming into the Mother's Day weekend this weekend. So I thought it would be a great way to start the season and do this episode and call it CEO Mom. I know there are a lot of moms out there who feel like they're CEOs of their families and their lives every day, but today we have an actual CEO who is also a mom. We have returning guest Alice Chen, who is the CEO and founder of Culinary Agents. If you've been a loyal listener of the show for the past seven years. <laughs> she will be a familiar voice to you. She first came on Tech Bytes episode 50 back in February of 2016 to talk about her business, Culinary Agents, um, which is the preeminent online job career resource for the hospitality industry, whether you are a business looking to hire people or someone looking to get a job or some ideas and inspiration. This is a place for you. So Alice, welcome back. You were just on, she's been on a bunch of times because Alice is a guest we like to have on in January because that's when people are really looking for a new job, new life, new leaf. And um, it's a great assessment of where the industry is at. Alice is a great guest because her business is the business. So welcome back. This is episode 262. Um, you were last on in January 2021. Yes, thank you so much. It's so exciting to be back. I feel like every time 
we circle around. There's so many new exciting things to talk about and particularly excited to be part of this uh, episode leading up to Mother's Day. It's, you know, when we are always looking at the calendar, I always try and note different things that are happening to create a timely aspect. And, you know, being a CEO, being a mom, uh, being a chef, being a mom, being any woman who is a mother who is running a business and taking a leadership role, um, all those things are challenging. And, you know, not only do we want to celebrate moms, it's also May, it's also AAPI month, um, which is great because we can talk about that also. <clears throat> but, you know, when you were first on the show, you know, we talked about the business, we talked about you um, being a woman starting a tech company. You were fundraising 10 years ago in 2012. And, you know, so much has changed because of the pandemic. So much has changed since you know, let's call it March 2020. Um, but I wonder if it really has changed. You know, we're here 10 years later from when you were fundraising, you're now a CEO, your company is strong and growing, you're a mom, your family's growing. Is it the same? Are people just more aware of it? Is the industry really just being called to reckon with some of these ideas? Or is the way we talk about it just different? Is it really progress? Is it the same? I mean, there's a part of me that feels like we have progress. And there's a part of me that feels like we just talk about it differently. Yeah, and I I feel like it's a little bit of all of those things. I know that's kind of a uh, a very generic um, uh, answer, but I, I truly feel that way and believe that. Um, you know, ten years ago when um, I was going on knocking on doors trying to raise money for um, culinary agents, the conversation was slightly different. And in the 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 interesting thing is is in the tech world and in business, those conversations are not that different than what, you know, businesses and, and workers and folks have in the hospitality industry. Um, very similarly, it was challenging to um, get doors opened, uh, find the right folks to to pitch to, convince them that this was uh, a needed tool for the industry, that, that this industry was huge and there were so many workers and businesses and technology and tools were lacking to support, you know, career development, mentorship, um, jobs, uh, you know, job marketing, applicant management tools, just tools all over the place that just were not, um, available. And, and, and if they were available, they weren't quite developed in a way that were cost efficient and effective to support an industry like hospitality. So, when I had those conversations, I was up against, you know, you can kind of see and feel um, inherent biases uh, sometimes. And you, you you just be aware of those things and you kind of push past it and don't let them um, affect you as much, uh, I suppose, um, when you're in a position where you're, you're essentially asking people or businesses for, for money to support your idea and your, and your business to, to grow it into something that is really transforming uh, for the industry. So conversations definitely were, um, uh, were, were different, I say, from 10 years ago to now. I hear some positive conver uh, feedback on uh, women tech entrepreneurs who um, fundraise. And you know, since then, there's been a lot of specific funds that are dedicated to supporting women founders. Um, you know, there's much more awareness. People have, have uh, conversations a little differently. And, and the support and the network has grown exponentially as well. I feel a lot of those trends tend to to find its way through an industry over time. And I think we're seeing that through the hospitality industry as well. 
It's it's interesting in that you say that the tech industry and the hospitality industry kind of mirror each other. And, you know, I've often said that restaurants, I think, are the original startup. You know, you bootstrap it, you raise money with friends and family, you have an idea, you go out there, you work really, really hard, you try and um, get some uh, feedback, you do friends and family, you do beta testing. (laughs) And then ultimately, you hope to be successful and you need scale. You need scale to really make it work. Margins are very thin and attracting top talent is always an issue. So they they are very similar. Um, they require so much energy and dedication and they are, you know, traditionally and still very male dominated. Um, and in the restaurant world, you know, hospitality, one of the things that was always so interesting to me is that historically, most of the top, top level, you know, chefs, the people who win the stars, the people who have the legacy restaurants, the restaurateurs, the chefs, they're, pre- they're predominantly men. But when they do interviews and, uh, you know, people can log on to culinaryagents.com and see there's a great um, section of, you know, uh, interviews and Q&As with industry leaders about their career path and their influences and the thing that's ironic is most men chefs were inspired by women cooks in their families. <laughs> so they had a great home experience and a great mom or grandmother or aunt or family or someone who cooked all these amazing things and really gave them that exceptional hospitality, care and comfort experience that they went on to replicate in the world. But somehow it didn't connect that maybe women would be the best translators of something that started with women. But I do yeah. think that now it's it's a little it's a little bit different and you know with the pandemic and people sheltering in place and people spending more time at home we've read a lot in the news over the past couple of years about how a lot of the um responsibility of creating school at home and work at home and work from home and all these things really fell to women and that women were exiting the workforce to take care of their families at home. Um, and maybe perhaps realigning what their work-life balance looked like. And I think that is translating into the hospitality industry now as well. With the great resignation, it's very challenging to find talent and retain talent. What used to be an industry that could say, well, this is what it is, and you just kind of got to suck it up. They don't really have that luxury anymore. So I guess my question to you, because you, again, Culinary Agents is the business, and you see what employers are offering and you see what employees are looking for. Are these new ideas? Is it just come to the forefront? Are people, are, are restaurant workers, hospitality workers, are they less willing to compromise now? Is that the big difference? Is it, are, are, are companies and, and restaurants really more aware of the work-life balance struggle? Because it's not new. Yeah, I, I think absolutely there is an increased awareness. Um, like you said, it's not new. Staffing challenges is not new. Um, these overall uh, challenges and wants and needs are not new. However, what is new and different is we have about two plus years or so of um, extreme instability, of um, uh, of uh, time to reflect and reprioritize from uh, both workers and, and business owners standpoint. Um, pre-pandemic, we saw a lot of progress with businesses starting to reevaluate 
you know, diversity, um, inclusion, uh, other ways that they can offer things like benefits. Uh, and, you know, I say that very broadly because obviously every business is different and um, smaller, smaller businesses may have constraints that larger businesses don't have. But we were seeing that shift in, in businesses really focusing on their employer brand and how they can set themselves apart from other uh, employers by offering you know, certain benefits or perks. Um, you know, once the pandemic hit, obviously the, the focus was shifted to survival across the board. Um, I think from a worker standpoint, it was just such a devastating, uh, un, um, unexpected extreme of a hit. And uh, I think what we're seeing now is that some workers have found uh, happiness and balance in other areas, uh, whether it be other industries or different types of work within hospitality. And so you do see a little bit of, of shifting there. Um, what, uh, what that's done with, you know, obviously the dynamics of supply and demand is that there are a lot of jobs, uh, businesses that are reopening, projects that were delayed that are on full force, people that are hiring and overhiring just to make sure they have um, a buffer to fill, uh, fill slots and, and positions and, and backup. Um, and a real, real progress in both conversation and action with with businesses that we're seeing on how do we offer uh, more and different benefits and perks to accommodate the changing needs of the workforce. Um, now, be it that some are kind of in that forced position because they are struggling to find the talent that they want, and they're recognizing because of feedback um, that they need to make some changes um, and uh, evaluating what's within their means and, and what's what's not. Um, and, and I think that needs to happen because workers are not going to just go back to the way things were. Uh, and, um, you know, whether it's, I, I mean, I say that in a very broad sense, there might be certain, certain folks in businesses that are able to do that, but in general, things are different. And the, the whole concept of the great resignation is not just, you know, hospitality. It's not just you know banking. It's not just other industries. It's representative of work of working the working population recognizing that there is more and to uh, to life, if you will, um, than perhaps uh, what they were used to or in the um, the grind of. And that if you get a little taste of of something different, it, it might not be that bad. Um, and uh, in this during this time, I think that a lot of families were also started, or a lot of thinking about starting families um, had occurred, and that is just a forced life change. It definitely is a forced life change. I think the world, the global population, had a forced life change simultaneously, all together for a period of time, which is so unusual. I do think that the collective reckoning that happened globally is. It's just such a strong catalyst from an emotional and an intellectual point of view because it's something that's never, ever happened before in the world. I do wonder if the economics of the restaurant industry are able to support this kind of change. One of the things that I think the pandemic revealed was that so many restaurants were really on the edge of being financially solvent because of a combination of things, because of a combination of rising rents, um, rising wages, rising costs of goods and services combined with a, you know, public price point, you know, the price points that the public is sort of willing to accept and absorb 
I mean, again, this is a this is a broad generalization, but the restaurant industry has kind of been running at a deficit for the most part for a long time, sort of, you know, revolving doors of like, you know, credit and money coming in and paying and things, because while the public is voracious about wanting a certain level of service, they want a certain level of product, everybody wants, you know, organic farm to table you know, staff that's well cared for and all those types of things, but nobody wants to pay the, the the significant price increase that comes along with that. So I think that prior to the pandemic, the industry financially was in a, was in its own reckoning about what to do because there was a break point that was coming. The pandemic happened, everything stops. And then when people are trying to come back into business, realigning those numbers with real numbers, I think is is part of the issue now. So what are you seeing from the employer side, from the business side, in terms of how business are, um, what types of things are they able to offer employees in terms of like quality of life or a better situation to make their business more viable? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, I'm also broadly generalizing because I'm not going to pretend like I know how to run a restaurant. Um the uh, what we are seeing, though, with businesses who are um, kind of getting back into the fold is reevaluating what is within their means. Can they um, afford to offer certain benefits and perks? What kind of perks can they offer? Um, and what's within their means? And what 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 based upon feedback that they're getting from you know interviews or candidates will actually make sense? And so, um, the uh, you know, if you're a small business that you know perhaps can't afford to uh, offer a, a suite of healthcare benefits, et cetera, et cetera, what can you offer? Um, and we've heard feedback from from job seekers that you know money isn't everything. There is a quality of life. There is a, a learning, and um, there are many different ways that businesses can accommodate. Restaurants are such a specific work environment and you're there to provide a service. It's like a stage. It's almost like being in the theater, you know, outside of, you know, monetary benefits or maybe even, you know, healthcare benefits or, you know, paid vacation or those types of kind of traditional uh, job benefits we think of. What other kinds of things have you seen restaurants and businesses offering their employees and kind of like a creative way to get to, what people want. Do people want work-life balance? Do they want flexibility, less hours? Do they want to be able to like bring their kid to work one day? Yeah, I, I, I certainly believe and we're seeing that what people want and what they're willing to sacrifice um, has shifted, has changed. You know, gone are the days like perks of, um, and I'll use another tech example, but like perks of free dry cleaning, you know, and uh, those types of things are, are not as desirable as maybe flexible scheduling, right? And from a restaurant and hospitality standpoint, we've seen um, certainly uh, the ability or the offering of a more flexible schedule uh, be something that's very desired for, you know, folks who need those flexible scheduling. And uh, I think that term is, is shifted from pre-pandemic to now where um, certain businesses are playing with, you know, four, uh, four day work weeks or five day work weeks or um, making sure that they're staffed up well enough so that they can uh, not overwork their staff, right? So there are a couple of uh, things on the scheduling side. There's, of course, the the benefits that businesses are able to offer, but then there's also, you know, 
the work environment, the culture, respect, opportunities to learn and grow, businesses um, doing you know, tastings for their teams, uh, for those who are interested in learning more about wine, um, edu- you know, training, um, just a little bit uh, a little bit more of the what do you need and how can we support you in addition to the actual work and the paycheck um, and uh, the the level of of camaraderie and and uh, you know hospitality if you will within your team is creates your overall work environment and that is something that more people are are looking for because you're going to be spending your time there. And ultimately, if you're spending your time at work, you're sacrificing something else somewhere else. Time. Time is our most valuable commodity, it turns out. Um, And I think people recognize, they think people always recognize that, but I definitely think the past two and a half years have really brought front and center how important um, some of these other things are. Are these trends that you saw happening prior to 2020? Were they things that were on the rise? um, And that the, you know, two and a half years into the pandemic this time just really vetted that this was the right direction to go in? Because again, you know, we've been talking about a lot of these things for a lot of years. Um, It just seems that now is the moment when people are really trying to make a concerted effort to make change. Yeah, and that's exactly right. Um, It's the difference between the talking and the wanting and then the doing. And I think the time that, uh, you know, the pandemic, especially early on, um, you know, gave to some of these workers who, quite frankly, just never had time to think about it or to really research or to take action, um, it... uh, it really changed a lot of perspectives and priorities. And so I think the big difference is that we see more, more of the working hospitality, working population that have um, actually put forth an effort to change, uh, to change what they want for themselves, to uh, change their own thinking about what type of work uh, that they're willing to do or they want to do and what kind of company they want to work for uh, versus being, you know, in the daily grind and just like pushing through. Pushing through is uh, is different now <laughs> than it was <laughs> pre-pandemic. Do you think that's really the critical shift, the especially in the restaurant industry where it really very much was an industry of this is what it is and this is what you have to do. And sort of the higher up you got in terms of the stature and the status of a restaurant, almost the less flexibility there was because it was such a high rated, exceptional place to work. Sort of the, you're lucky to be working here. You're going to learn so much. This is one of the best places to be so grinded out. Um, is it, is it a shift in, is it a shift in power? Is it a shift in power from the businesses to the employees? Yes, that's my simple answer. Um, it's a uh, it's a shift in power, and you know I, I say that, and I, I don't want it to come off as you know, you know, one's better than the other. I think the shift in the power simply means that the workers have much more say and confidence, um, which is uh, which translates very well when they're looking for jobs. You know, you should be more vocal. You should. Uh, you know, lay out your non-negotiables. You should do your research and see which companies actually do offer the things that um, that you want, or where where you see co-work, uh, you know, people that you admire or people that you know are working and, and they're happy. Um, you know, they they absolutely are more forthcoming with uh, what they want and what they need, and not willing to 
um, to, to sacrifice some of those. Now, we're always going to have, and we're still seeing it, um, certain institutions that do, don't want to change certain things. And that works well for them. And that's because that's part of their culture and that's part of their excellence. And workers want to be a part of that and they want to learn from that as well. So I think the positive thing is that, you know, there are so many opportunities out there and there are so many workers, whether or not they're actively looking for work um, immediately, or if they're just uh, in the process of evaluating what's out there to determine what they want to do. Um, what we have seen is that the gap between the experienced hospitality worker and the entry-level hospitality worker has widened. Um, and what that is an indicator of is simply, you know, what we've been talking about with you know, perhaps folks who have worked for several years in the industry reaching a point at the at the you know peak of the pandemic where um, they've re reevaluated and reprioritized and have found work in another part of the industry or um, elsewhere. One of that leads me right into uh, what my next question actually was. <laughs> you have so much data and information coming out of culinary agents because you know it's online, it's a resource. People create profiles. You have a sense of of what's happening. I would my my question is a curiosity about the profile of hospitality workers and people looking for work especially in a place like New York City where you did have a lot of front of the house staff that was part-time hospitality and part-time something else. You know, the restaurant industry is a great support for people and communities in so many ways because it's easy to do pickup work. It's easy to have like some work to support yourself, maybe a little bit on the side. New York City is a place where you have so many artists and musicians and writers and personal trainers and people here um, making a go of something and restaurants being really a, uh, you know, well-known, comfortable, familiar financial support. And I wonder if as these things closed or people left New York or maybe decided now's the time to go all in on what they really want to do. Is that where that middle employee kind of fell out? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of, you know, to your point, this industry has always been and will continue to be just a wonderful place that offers flexibility. You know, I mentioned flexible scheduling before. This is this flexi overall flexibility of, you know, I'm pursuing something else, but I need to you know, make money. Um, and, uh, you know, you learn a lot of skills that you can take into other types of uh, industries and businesses. So it's always been a, a great place for both uh, for workers who were in it uh, in the long run, because this is their profession, as well as workers who are just really good at and have the skills. And this is not uh, their long term but it's really great for now and it's really helping them um, fill in uh, so they can pursue other things. Um, I think what we've seen now is, is as those other industries have all were also shut, you know, like uh, in New York specifically, you had, you know, theater artists and, and all those folks um, who were, uh, you know, when Broadway was closed and, and they weren't pursuing other things, they, um, that impacted, you know, ultimately how this industry would be able to, to gain those, those workers back. Right. Um, and we did see a little bit of a, 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 a a boost uh, in the supply side when actually when Broadway and the theaters opened and we saw more people returning to the city. Um, the interesting thing is, is and, and I think 
we've started seeing some of these articles floating around about you know other food cities that are emerging, um, but then also other cities that are um, that people uh, in, you know inside or outside of the hospital industry um, have and are relocating to. So with large companies now offering you know part-time remote or full remote, um, their workers are also relocating to other cities. And with that, they're building kind of other communities in developing cities that are going to need great restaurants, that are going to need, um, you know, variety and uh, food establishments and flavors. And it, it's kind of an interesting balance because you have the people in the industry who had, had uh, relocated or have moved during the pandemic um, for various reasons. You have the broader population of folks who also kind of relocated and who don't need to return to the major cities they came from because now their employers are letting them work remote. Um, and they're looking for things satisfied, their you know tastes and, and wants. And um, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more growth and development of really wonderful food establishments in you know other cities. Well, we've been talking We've been talking about people leaving New York and expensive urban places to go to other cities, especially for restaurants where it's more economically viable, where you can have more space, you can have a bigger kitchen, your rent isn't as high, um, you know, all those, the cost of living is not as high. So something I think that was definitely trending before, but just gained a huge amount of momentum because of all the reasons you just expressed. Um, yeah, so many different things happening. I mean, it's really kind of amazing that the restaurant industry and all industry in life just sort of came out the other side of the tunnel and it's like still going and navigating a very, very different landscape right now, um, not just for hospitality, but just the world in general. So many people initially were talking about wanting things to go back to normal, but I, I, I think it's just forward motion and evolution. I don't think there's any going back to anything, really. Um and I think people who are trying to replicate a business model or life pattern or lifestyle from 2019 even are, are, are going to have a hard time doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think businesses um, throughout this time have started to look at things like technology for efficiency um, and recognizing that, you know, if they make certain changes that could allow them or afford them the ability to uh, real, you know, adjust their business model in a different way so that they can offer things or they can invest in different areas. And, um, you know, we see businesses, uh, larger businesses with multi-concepts, perhaps shift their focus and some of the concepts that weren't, you know, their, uh, their big focus, uh, and then really double down on certain concepts that, the dining population were certainly giving them feedback that these are that they want more, um, and we see restaurateurs collaborating and being creative and how they can pool their resources and build something new and exciting. Because as you mentioned before, diners they want they want more they want exciting they you know they're they're looking for the next thing they're, they they want to get back out there and enjoy and um, and uh, have fun and celebrate you know, and it's, it, it falls back on the hospitality industry, right? Yeah. It, it, in many ways, it always does. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you think about, you know, where, where you want to celebrate your anniversary, your birthday, or where you want to gather with friends and just hang out. Um, you know, even during the pandemic, a lot of the conversations were about, you can't wait till things open up, but, you know, a lot of the focus um, was shifted to, okay, well, support, 
your local businesses now because mm-hmm. they might not be there when you're ready to go out and party, right? Yep. And just because you can't get a table now doesn't mean that things are back to normal for them. A lot of businesses are still really trying to rebuild and struggling, but they're going to put on a happy face and, and plow through because that's what this industry does. And, um, you know, everyone needs to continue to root for them and support them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, support supporting things you love and supporting things that are important to you. Now is the moment. Um, we're going to take a quick break to find out who is supporting this episode. Heritage Radio Network has been on the air for more than a decade, and we worked through the pandemic remotely to bring you stories about how people were surviving, how people were helping, um, ways you could do virtual events. All, all kinds of things. And I'm happy to say that with the support of our underwriters and our members and some grants, we have opened the studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that is at Roberta's Pizza, and are now producing shows live out of there, um, as well as remotely. And that's all made possible by listeners and people who think these kinds of stories and sharing a platform and sharing and recording things for later is important. Find out who's sponsoring this episode. Stay with us. I'm Chava Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Did you know that over 70% of diners research a restaurant online before ordering from or going in person? Your digital front door is more important than ever. Let BentoBox design and build you a beautifully branded website. BentoBox websites provide sleek design and seamless content management, creating impactful first impressions and converting visitors into customers. And with built-in commerce and marketing tools like online ordering, gift cards, automated email, and more, you can also grow your revenue and keep your diners coming back. Join over 8,000 restaurants that leverage BentoBox to power their digital presence and deliver great hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. You are listening to Tech Bites, the show on Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection 
is culinaryagents.com, really the preeminent online place to go for the hospitality industry, whether you are a restaurant looking for staff, whether you are a person thinking about going to work at a restaurant, or maybe, you know, you're looking for some sheet pans in the marketplace to buy or sell. Um, They even have a calendar of events, which I took a quick look at before we sat down to do this episode. And I note that there are some open calls at places like 11 Madison Park happening. So it's a tremendous resource. Um, 360 around the industry. We are talking today with the CEO and founder, Alice Chen. It is a little bit of a Mother's Day episode. She is CEO mom. And we're talking about the changes that the restaurant industry needs to make, has to make, uh, to give a little more consideration to work-life balance and family life. Um, You know, everybody has families and we need them to be well cared for and successful so that everything else can be successful. Alice, you have so much information about what's happening in the industry from the website, both on the uh, business side and the employee side. Just with your recent experience, are, are there things that you now have a, a really much, much better understanding of? Are there things that you're surprised about um, being uh, a mom now versus before? Um, you're smart and you've been ahead of the curve and had a good insight and intuition about things. So. I'm assuming your instinct usually plays out, but um, anything notable that you would want to share just in terms of, you know, being a, a, you know, woman CEO, founder of a company and and now adding mom to that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's um, so many, so many different things. Um, You know, I I think before I had, you know, I had my, my daughter, which is, who is six months now, um, I, I always would hear and I, I, I would try to empathize that, you know, having a baby is, is so, you know, so much work. So people must be tired and, and there's so many things. And, and, you know, you inherently know that there's a lot that must go on to keep and develop a small human. Right. And there's sacrifices and, you know, you can you see memes, you can joke about it and you can be supportive. But until you go through it, it is really um, a, a, a next level experience. And so for me personally, um, you know, having uh, a, a baby and then um, juggling, you know, being the CEO of this company and making sure that uh, things continued, you know, business as usual and that, you know, nothing needs to change and, um, you know, I have full control over everything, you know, that definitely was tested many, many a time. And so I think for, for me, the perspective is um, recognizing even more so that having the support of not just your immediate family and your your friends, but of your workplace, of your employer, having that that true level of I understand that you need uh, certain flexibilities because you now have a child, um, is is so incredibly important. Um, and I'm not saying that you need to have a child in order to to recognize that, but from my personal experience and also being a leader, um, you know things. Uh, stood out more to me, um, uh, such as uh, just accommodating um, my my team, accommodating myself with just some flexible scheduling, um, me actually reaching a point where sometimes I'm, I just say no, you know, for me also being in hospitality and always being kind of the, the last, last um, 
person before, you know, the last, I'm um, missing my words, but uh, that happens often as well now. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's it's humbling. It's so humbling because your your focus is um, you know on your on your newborn child, um, but then you also have the responsibilities of of your team and your employees and making sure that they're happy and they're supported and you know coming uh, on the heels of pandemic, making sure that you know everybody is taking care of themselves and that their mental and their physical health is good and that you're creating a positive work environment for them. So, you know, being a, a leader and a business owner in this space, if you, you have to have a leadership team that you can trust and that supports you and that, you know, will, will, will be accommodating to you as well, because that is another level of stress that I'm not sure that could have been the the breaker for me if I didn't have that kind of support on the work side. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of also, um, again, not, not, not to share too much here because, um, you know, this episode is, could go on for another hour and a half, but you know, what people don't really talk about is there's a lot of physical changes that happens when you have a baby (laughs) Um, (laughs) and you just don't feel good for a while, you know, just because you had the baby and you haven't slept in weeks, um, you know, doesn't mean that your body isn't continuing to recover. And I mean, six months from now, I'm still not, you know, back to normal. Um, I don't even know what normal is going to be for me, but, um, but you just, you, you charge on again, you, you hope that what what you've built, whether it be the team or the support structure um, or the company, um, will uh, continue, you know, with your your mindset, with your um, influence and your leadership, um, and give you a little bit of time to to recover, reposition, reprioritize. So it's it's a, it's definitely a life change. I think, you know, having a child or starting a family or Growing a family during uh, while also working in hospitality is, um, I would say, even even more stressful, if you will, because <laughs> um, if you throw some uncertainties on top of that, and you throw, um, you know, the the type of lifestyle that certain positions uh, demand, um, really, I could see how a lot of priorities had changed um, over the the years and and changes when you do start families or grow families. Well, the physicality, I mean, I think not enough can be said for the physicality of actually um, making a person inside your body and then having it exit and take its place in the world and then sort of reconstituting yourself after that is just, I mean, it's amazing, it's miraculous, but it's also probably the world's greatest endurance sport ever created. Um and restaurant work is very physical also. It's just like physical on top of physical on top of physical. Yeah. And yet at the same time, you have to main- you have to have enough energy and bandwidth to maintain like sharp mental focus to get things done. So it's also an endurance trial in, in many ways. Ha- has the pandemic made it easier to say no? Has the pandemic made it easier? Do people understand now? in a way that they never had before when people say, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that, spending time with my family. This is not that important to me. Quality of life is important to me. Do we all just understand now and you don't have to explain it or make excuses or fight for it anymore? I personally believe yes. Um, I think that there is an increased overall awareness with mental health, with 
you know, just balance overall. I think that um, whether or not it's so close to the heels of the pandemic that we're still, you know, in, <laughs> um, that that this shift is 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 still very, you know, top of mind and focus. I'm not I'm not quite sure what 10 years from now is going to look like, um, but I do believe there is this quiet understanding now that um, is just the new norm normal where, you know, people don't necessarily, uh, you know, and, and I, I would say people aren't necessarily shy about vocalizing it. Perhaps this was something, you know, that was always there in the past. Like, sure, I want to go to my, you know, child soccer game versus this, you know, cocktail event or whatever. Right. But, um, I think the choices, uh, are potentially easier to be made and vocalized now because there is that wider acceptance of, yeah, you have a life and that's important and, uh, I get it and go do that. Um, and, uh, whether or not, um, that's going to continue that way for the long term, um, that remains to be seen. <laughs> well, I certainly don't want to make light of, uh, the pandemic and and the hardship and the loss that that comes along with it. But I do think that the collective reckoning and the collective reassessment of what's important and what's valuable to people has been extremely helpful and has really been a positive in that um, we, we're all, in, in many ways, we're all on the same page in a way that we haven't been before. We have sort of a collective understanding of our human experience on a, on, on a level that has never happened before. Usually, you know, you, you know, you're a mom, you have your child, it's a very personal event, it's your family, it's there. Maybe you're sharing it with your coworkers, maybe not. Um, certainly in a restaurant, a lot of people would just keep that very close to the vest and not even want to talk about it because maybe it's perceived as a weakness and not a strength or not something miraculous. Um, but I think a lot of those... Um, closed door, um, closed door issues are brought to the forefront because they are important and they can take their place as being important because we all kind of recognize that now together um, in some way, shape, or form. And I, I hope that that is something that continues. Um, and I, uh, on both sides, it's not just the uh, hospitality industry being uh, creative and understanding and offering uh, a positive work-life balance, employees demanding that. But we also need consumers and customers and restaurant goers to understand what the true cost of that is. You, uh, uh, you cannot say, I'm going to go to my favorite restaurant and I want top shelf everything and top shelf staff and I want there to be health benefits and paid vacation and daycare and I want organic fair trade coffee and all these amazing things, <laughs> but I still only want to pay $10 for a hamburger and I don't want to pay $17 for a cocktail. So there has to be a break point of understanding on both sides. And I do think that the consumer side while voraciously attentive to all these types of things and willing to, you know, raise a sign and make statements and, you know, throw a hashtag on a post, you really need to put your money where your mouth is. And you really need to put money behind your convictions because the economics of the restaurant industry have always been in the customer's favor. And now in order to really truly implement these types of quality of life changes that are great for everybody, you know, that the economic realities have to be faced, I think. And I, I don't know if consumers are there yet. 
You're absolutely right. I, I couldn't have said it better. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if consumers are there yet, but I think they are. They are seeing those changes, you know, in the price points now that you know people are are, are going out more, and you know, I, I don't really bat an eye to a you know, twenty-eight or thirty-two dollar hamburger because I know what goes in, it and I want that grass-fed burger, and you know, and, and supply chains have have also taken a hit, and and raw materials are just more expensive. So it's it's really. Um, I, I think that as consumers and diners see that more across the board, it's not just you know one restaurant or one or two places that they see these types of price increases. Um, they're seeing it collectively, um, especially in certain cities. Uh, I'm 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 hoping that that it'll be more it'll be pretty apparent. They'll learn pretty quickly. I'm also hoping that that's not going to affect um, you know the way consumers tip um, you know on their on their invoices and their bills. Do- you want to talk about that being a whole other episode? <laughs> <laughs> oh, tipping. Oh, boy. Okay. I know. <laughs> well, this is why we keep having Alice back on the show, because there's always something more to talk about. And she is one of those guests where I have to say, I'm sorry, we're out of time, even though I could, we could do a series and probably talk every day for the next, you know, few months about something important and relevant and interesting in the industry. Um, If you want to check out Culinary Agents, culinaryagents.com, they are on social media at Culinary Agents. The website is great. They have thousands of jobs nationwide. Um, You were doing international work as well. Is that happening? Is that online? Is that coming up in the future? We still have it. We did scale back a little bit on it um, because of resources. uh, Right, and also um, people aren't quite traveling that much. Exactly. And the, the U.S. is re- really our big focus. Mm-hmm. They also have, you know, uh, hospitality career paths. They have a lot of great resources about how people have arrived at the jobs they've had, interviews, the culinary path, advice, what people have learned, virtual mentorships, things like that. Um, if you're looking to get back into the industry, if you're looking to get into the industry for the first time and you have questions, you might find the answers there. Um, I'm going to say have a happy Mother's Day this weekend. I'm going to say I'm, we'll, we'll talk to you maybe at some point next year. Come back. Let us know what's happening. I'll say to the listeners, if you love this show, come back and see us again next week. If you can't live without it, go to your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Subscribe to it. Like it. Give us a great five-star review. If you think it's really important, these kinds of conversations to save in our archives, so that we can listen to them later and pass them around. Think about becoming a member. You know, you can do it for what you spend on a cup of coffee today. It'll help us make more radio and tell more stories. And if you are a business owner and you want to support other business, we have business memberships for you as well. Thank you for listening. I'm Jennifer Leutze, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.